Hey, you're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in and around the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles throughout the week. And then we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Ryan Chase, and I'm one of the elders at Emmaus Road Church. And in this episode, I want to talk about the functional centrality of the gospel. That's a phrase that we get from Mike Bullmore, and there's a great article by Mike in our Discipleship Huddle Guides. It's Appendix 10. If you uh, have a huddle guide and you want to look that up and read through it, really what we're talking about is how do you grow and make progress in the Christian life? How does a a believer in Jesus Christ grow in sanctification? How do you grow in practical holiness? How do you grow more and more free from areas of sin, sinful thinking, sinful living in your life? How do you grow as a Christian? How does that progress happen? And I love this quote. I think Tim Keller nails it when he says, in our Christian life, we never get beyond the gospel to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. I love those those images Keller gives us. Think of the gospel like the hub in a wheel, not the first step that you, you touch once and then you move on from that. Don't think of the gospel like the ABCs, the, the rudimentary basics, the, the preschool level Christianity. Think of the gospel as the A to Z of Christianity. Keller says, the gospel's not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. What does he mean when he says the gospel is the way that we make all progress in the kingdom? Well, he goes on to say, it's very common in the church to think something like this. The gospel is for non-Christians and you need it to be saved, but once you're saved, then you, you grow through hard work and obedience. It's incredibly common to find people thinking that way. The gospel is just for unbelievers. That's how you get saved. But once you've been saved, then isn't it redundant to uh, talk about Jesus died on the cross for our sins? Why, why do I need to hear that if I already know it? I already believe it. But Keller says both confession and hard work that is not arising from and in line with the gospel will not sanctify you. They will strangle you. All our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. So, the reason that we don't make progress in the gospel is because we are failing to understand the implications of the gospel and apply it to our lives. And when we do make progress in the Christian life, it's because we are coming to understand and appreciate and comprehend more deeply and more fully all that it means for us that Christ died for our sins and all that flows out of that. This is the Galatian heresy, the false teaching that the church in Galatia fell into that Paul confronted them about in Galatians chapter 3. He wrote to them in verse 2, let me ask you only this, and then he asks them this rhetorical question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit because you you earned the Spirit from God by doing some work for Him in your own strength, by your own flesh, by your own willpower, you earned the Spirit from God? Or did you hear the gospel and believe it? The answer is you, you heard the gospel and believed it. And so then he asks them in, in 
verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you sanctified by your own strength? If you started out in the Christian life by hearing the gospel with faith and you received the Spirit when you were born again, do you now make progress? Are you now sanctified in the Christian life by your own effort, your own willpower? The answer is no. He says in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so? Again, he draws this contrast. Does he do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith, hearing the gospel and believing it, hearing the gospel and believing it. We never grow or mature beyond that. There is no other way in the Christian life. It's all hearing with faith. Verse 6 says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so Paul points to Abraham, the father of our faith, the one who was justified. All his sins were forgiven. He was counted as righteous, not because he earned it or deserved it from God, but because he trusted God. And through that faith, he received that incredible blessing of righteousness, the forgiveness of sins. So Tim Keller goes on to say, the main problem then in the Christian life is that we have not thought out the deep implications of the gospel. We have not used the gospel in and on all parts of our life. All of us, to some degree, live around the truth of the gospel, but we don't get it. So the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is continual rediscovery of the gospel. I think that's convicting when Keller says all of us to some degree live around the truth of the gospel, but we don't get it. Uh, We've heard this before, and we've heard it enough to think that we get it, but we don't get it in the sense that it's, it's not always functioning to change our thinking and to change our living. So that's why we talk about the functional centrality of the gospel, meaning the gospel is not just central um, in its importance, but it's it's central with a functionality. It is supposed to function. It's supposed to do work. It's supposed to get things done in us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes us and transforms us and sanctifies us. So this is where Mike Bullmore in this article uh, in Appendix 10 is so valuable. He, he says, think of this like three concentric circles, that the, the center circle is the gospel itself. The gospel, the simplest way we can sum that up is with Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writes there, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. So again, we see Paul emphasizing the centrality and the importance of the gospel that he is reminding believers who have been believers for a while, already heard the gospel, already received it. He's reminding them of the gospel because we never outgrow our need for it. He says, I'd remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I think that's so interesting. He uses those uh, several different tenses there. You you received it, past tense. You are standing in it, present tense, and by which you are being saved. There's this ongoing action that's happening. The gospel is saving you. And then Paul says it's conditional. The gospel is saving you if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. If you hold fast to the gospel, if you don't hold fast to the gospel, if you don't continue, as Paul says in Galatians 3, hearing and believing with faith, it's of no 
use to you. So hold fast to the gospel unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance. And with that phrase, again, Paul points to the the centrality and the the importance, the primacy of the gospel. I delivered to to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared. So with those phrases, Paul sums up the gospel. Christ died for our sins. You can't state it any uh, more succinctly or clearly than that. That is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. Paul says, he repeats this phrase, all of it was in accordance with the scriptures, meaning all of it was planned and promised by God. It was foretold and fulfilled by God. And that's not all. It's not just that he appeared and then disappeared, but the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 goes on to speak of Christ having been raised from the dead. Now he is ruling and reigning. Verses 23 through 25 say, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ shall all be made alive. And then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised. He appeared. And he is reigning. And he must go on reigning until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So he is doing something right now. Really, the gospel is, as Matthew says three times, the gospel of Matthew uses this phrase, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, in Mark 1, 14 through 15, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is God's appointed king, and he suffered and died and rose to defeat sin and death and all of his enemies and to make it possible for those who were once alienated from God and hostile to God to be forgiven of all their sins since Christ died for their sins so that we can be reconciled to God, brought into the kingdom of God's beloved son and enjoy life under his rule and reign. And that eternal life begins now and continues forever. So that's the gospel at the center. Christ died for our sins. But then Mike Bullmore says, think of these concentric circles flowing out from that truth. There are gospel truths and gospel implications that come from the gospel. So gospel truths are not themselves the gospel. They are not that simple truth, Christ died for our sins. They are truths that are true and possible and available because Christ died for our sins. As Paul says, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. Every promise God makes to us, he can make to us because Christ died for our sins. If you stop and think, how could all of these promises in scripture be true for me? How can they all be available to me? How could God treat me with that kind of favor? The answer is because Christ died for your sins. So every promise of God is a gospel truth because it's available to you in Jesus. So Bullmore gives several examples. Uh, Romans 5.1, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is that we have been made right with God through faith. The gospel truth then is let us enjoy peace with God through Jesus who died for our sins. Peace with God, being made right with God. Peace with God is not itself the gospel, but it is an incredible blessing available to you because of the gospel. And so, 
helping each other apply the gospel functionally so that, so that it gets stuff done in us means uh, oftentimes experiencing uh, the peace of God ruling and reigning in our hearts because we are understanding what it means that Christ died for us. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, no condemnation is a reality that's available to you because Christ died for your sins. And so what, what a relief to be free from condemnation and a guilty conscience. Or Romans 8.32, th- this is kind of the ultimate summary gospel truth. It's not itself the gospel, but it is summing up everything true for you because of the gospel. Paul writes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So the gospel is that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The truth that flows out of that is if God did that, if he gave his own beloved son to die for you, then you can be absolutely confident he will also, along with Christ, graciously give you all things. He will meet all your needs and give you all that you need to live a life that pleases him and to experience joy in him forever. So graciously giving us all things is not the gospel. It is something that's possible and true because Christ died for our sins. So that's the second circle, gospel truths. And then the third circle is gospel implications, implications of the gospel for our behavior. Paul says in Galatians 2.14 that he rebuked Peter when he saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Uh, Peter was eating with Gentiles, except when certain Jews came around, and then Peter didn't want to be seen associating with those Gentiles. And Paul saw that, and he rebuked Peter because that conduct, that behavior, I mean, think about what he's talking about here, just who you eat meals with. Paul's saying, eating meals relating to people can either be in step with the truth of the gospel or not in step with the truth of the gospel. If that's true about our relationships and eating meals with people, um, it's true of all parts of our lives. Our conduct can either be in line with the gospel or out of step with the gospel. Not that our conduct is itself the gospel, Christ died for our sins, but our behavior is supposed to be shaped by the reality of the gospel. So what are some of those gospel implications or gospel um, applications in our behavior? Well, the way that the New Testament repeatedly addresses behavior in our lives is not just by urging more um, willpower or self-atoning effort, uh, but by pointing us back to the truth of the gospel. When Paul addresses sexual immorality in the church in Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So the gospel is you were bought at a price. Christ died for your sins. He gave himself for you. He bought you. And there are implications that come from that for what you do with your body. There are implications for your sexuality. Honor God with your body because your body is not your own. It was bought at a price when Christ died for you. Or when Paul urges relational reconciliation in Ephesians 4.32, he doesn't say, 
why can't you get along? Just get along with each other. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the gospel. God in Christ forgave you. The implication for your relationships with others is be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgiving one another in line with or in step with the truth of the gospel. When Paul addresses husbands and calls them to love their wives, he does that by pointing to the gospel. Husbands, love your wives, Ephesians 5.25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ loving us and dying for us becomes the pattern for all of our living and all of our relationships. I love 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul urges generosity. You often hear me cite this on Sunday mornings when we collect the offering. Uh, Paul just puts the gospel in financial terms, and we could translate the gospel into many other terms and categories as well. Listen to how he states the gospel in terms of wealth and poverty in order to motivate generosity among the Corinthians. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the gospel in terms of wealth and poverty. And the implication then is give generously to meet the needs of others just as Jesus Christ gave himself for you. So that's what we mean by the functional centrality of the gospel. And we want the gospel to get stuff done in our thinking and our living. And that happens as we repeatedly over and over again in community with one another in God's word through the help of his spirit rediscover the truth of the gospel so th- so make that your aim as you gather with one another this week in huddles and missional communities and just everyday life and running errands uh, think about and remind one another of the gospel so that it would get stuff done in us Hey, thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles, missional communities, or gospel fluency, please email me at ryan at emmausroadsf.com. And if you're not currently part of a huddle or MC, let me know and I would love to help you get connected. The music on this podcast is called Everywhere by Lee Rosevere and is used under a Creative Commons license.